How we doing this morning? We good? We awake? We live? Yeah, yeah. Potluck day here at the crossing always brings a lot of energy, obviously. Uh, no, we're, uh, we're glad that you're here and uh, that video is awesome. And uh, if your kids are not involved or youth are not involved, get them involved. And uh, student ministry meets here on Wednesday nights. And, uh, and so there's, uh, I'd like to say there's more where that came from, but I'm not sure they could actually mimic that in this space or there'd be a lot of injuries. Uh, but uh, definitely, definitely a part of that is happening uh, here every, every Wednesday night. And so before, before we move on and kind of crank into the message, uh, I do, I do want to say this and ask this from you uh, this morning, is as we are coming upon the end of our lease here at the crossing, and, and just so you know this, when I say that, and people probably think like, you know, next Sunday you're going to show up and we're not here. That's not the case. Uh, but we, we do, and it does end at the end of July, and then we do have three one-year options, and obviously we can maneuver that and however we need to. Uh, but we are in this kind of window of like, God, what's next? And, uh, and, and there have been different things that have happened over the last even six months where we're, we travel down paths saying, God, is this it? God, is this it? And kind of in another place of, of God, is this it? And, uh, and so what I'm asking from you uh, is this Wednesday, if you would join me and just come together as a body and, and fast this Wednesday. And, and fasting is one of those big words that, you know, I don't have time to fully unpack it. Uh, but it is abstaining from something, and, and in many cases food, uh, to gain God and to go after God. And so I, I, we've said before that fasting is like telling God you're serious. You know, it's coming before God and saying, this is real, this is intense, we want to hear from you. And so it's kind of clanging, clanging the bell a little bit uh, to God, spiritually speaking. And so what, what I'm asking for you, whether that's skipping lunch and saying, God, pray for the crossing, pray for the direction, pray that, that if, if this is it or something else is it, whatever it may be, that you would show us, that you would direct us, that you would give us courage and faith to move forward wherever we need to move forward. So if it's a lunch, if it's all day, if it's not food, if it's social media, if it's, you know, wh- whatever that needs to be, uh, just come together. Can we come together as a body this Wednesday excited for what God's going to do, excited for where he's going to take us, uncertain of what he's going to do, uncertain of where he's going to take us. But this Wednesday, and I would just say, you know, because I know how how I am, like right now, put it in your phone, (laughs) put a reminder in there uh, that that tells you, that alerts you, say, hey, this Wednesday I'm praying, we're fasting uh, for uh, the crossing. So I want to invite you to be a part of that uh, this week. We're going to play a little game this morning, um, and it's a game that you've probably played before called Word Association. Now, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say, I say blank, and you say, and then you'll say whatever associates with the word, right? Now, whatever the first word that comes to your mind is, I want you to say. And for some of you, this is going to be a very freeing moment. For those of you who have social anxiety, uh, this is really bad, and I apologize, but it's just part part of the thing today, okay? We're all going to grow through this exercise. All I ask is, as we do this... Let's, uh, let's keep it clean and nice-ish, okay, ish, all right, okay? So, I say reality television, and you say, <laughs> got a little big brother, a little awesome, okay? I say Dallas Cowboys, and you say, 
I say average, uh, mediocre. I'm a fan. They're, they're my team, and they drive me nuts. I say politics, and you say? I say family reunions, and you say? <laughs> I say potluck, and you say? Family reunion? Is that right? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I say church, and you say? <laughs> Here's for the grand finale. And you, I want you to think this in your head. You don't, don't say it aloud. But I say God, and you say... Now, it was the late author and evangelist, A.W. Tozer, who said, the single most important thought you have is what you think about when you think about God. And what Tozer was saying is that whatever word first pops into your mind when you think about God, when you hear the word God, is not only critical to your faith, but it's also critical to how you relate to God, probably also prophetic to the future and the depth of your relationship with God. And let's be honest, we all come into this place with, with different worldviews, different backgrounds, and, and different life experiences. So the word that, that is said and that, that you thought about can land all over the place when we're talking about God. Even in a room where there are people who probably know what's going to happen here every Sunday morning at 10.30, right? Here are some of the words that may be attached or maybe you associate to God. Distant. Maybe, maybe He's too, too big, too, too far away, too disconnected. Maybe He's just unknowable or too busy. When you think of God, you think distant. For some of you, you think Grandpa, Right? He's like, he's the sweet old grandpa God, right? He has gray hair and kind eyes, yeah. You know, he, he wears long robes that, that can imitate him just being in pajamas all day. I mean, that's kind of, when you think of God, some of you, you think of, uh, of grandpa, and he's got a thousand old stories, right? Uh, and, and he's a little slow nowadays, but, you know, still he's endearing. Some of you think impersonal. The God who is void of personality, right? This God is just like energy, light. This God is goodness. This God is, is like the Star Wars force, right? And, and when you think of God, you think impersonal force. For some of you, when you think of God, you think of the CPA, right? The, this God is a bean counter, right? He, he, is weighing, he is weighing good deeds and bad deeds. He is constantly examining and, and figuring out where do we teeter on the good deed, bad, bad deed scale. Honestly, this, this God can stress a lot of us out because we don't know if we're in or we're out. But it also drives something unhealthy in us because we think our relationship with God is all about us being a good person. For some of you, a word that may be attached or associated to God is non-existent. This is the atheist concept of God. That there is no such thing as God. And so, when, when I would say God, maybe you would say nothing. And regardless of your word, please understand this this morning, is that you were created to respond and to relate to God. And you will respond and relate to God in accordance with what or how you perceive Him to be. 
You know, thankfully, God has revealed Himself to us so that we can know who He is. Through Jesus and through the Scripture, we find that God is many things. We find that He is sovereign, which Ryan talked about last week. We, we find that He is gracious. We find that He is holy, merciful, majestic, just, righteous, compassionate. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And the list could go on and on. But the primary way that the Bible describes God so that we will know what to do with Him, so that we will know how to relate to Him, so that we can understand Him better, is by calling God Father. And so if God is knowable, which the Scripture tells us that He is, He is telling us repeatedly that He is our Father. God is referred to as Father 180 times alone in the Gospels. 180 times. In John chapter 6 and 7, Jesus confuses, angers, and mystifies his audience by talking about his relationship to God, the Father. The Father-God concept is mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount and countless times throughout the New Testament, including Paul's letters, which continually mention God, the Father. For example, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, but for us there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, after that the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God, the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. Jesus himself said, you've seen me you have seen the Father. And so the apex of God's revelation to us, which is Jesus Christ, is to display God the Father. And so you know this thinking is wholly unique to Christianity. I mean, no religion shares this concept of this relatable God, but here's the deal. I know for many of you that identifying God as Father is not necessarily good news. It's potentially disheartening and, and maybe very crippling information for you this morning. Because your experience with your earthly father is not a good reference point. Or maybe not a, a person that you really don't want to bridge your thinking to God at all. And if so, it's a bridge that has no stability, no respect, and no trust. And for some of you, the reality is that, that your relationship with your dad has been marred by sin, which all of our relationships have, selfishness, and a very broken, broken world that we live in. And when we think of our earthly father, for many of you, you might think of a guy who was distant, absent, abusive, passive, or maybe even childish or immature. And if God is like any of those characteristics, many of us are like, no thanks, I don't want to relate to that. I love what my friend, uh, he's a pastor, his name is Jay Reisner, he's at a church in Edmond, had to say about the underlying spiritual struggle and tension that's in play when it comes to how we see our fathers and how we see God as Father. Listen to this, he said, Would, would it make, wouldn't it make sense that if Satan wanted to mess us up, which he does, that's his goal, 
If he really wanted to mess with how we relate to God and really lie to us and distort the way God wants to be known to us, wouldn't it make sense for him to distort what it means to be a father? Doesn't that make a lot of sense? Our world is full of abusive, absent, and passive fathers and fathers who only give love when it's earned. Satan's strategy has worked. He sees the scripture describing God as a father and he immediately seeks to destroy the entire concept. And I want you to hear this this morning regardless of how you see your earthly father is God is not a reflection of our earthly fathers. He is the perfection of our earthly fathers. God is not a reflection of our earthly fathers. He is the perfection of our earthly fathers. When I, when I think about some of the great characteristics of my parents, there are many. Uh, Mom and dad, I think, are back there somewhere. But I think for my dad, some of his positive characteristics, he is supportive and he is involved. Very supportive, very involved. Exhibit A is that they are here right now and that they've been driving for over five years from Owasso to be in service to hear very poor teaching. And uh, they do it every week. And, but that's just that's a characteristic of my dad that I've seen throughout the years. Now, now, for my mom, when I think about her, I think she is someone who's comforting. So whether sick or going through difficult times. And she's also someone who is generous. Lo- loves buying gifts. Loves giving to others. And, and when I think about my parents, I, I mean, you could probably do this as well. Think about one or two positive characteristics of your parents or maybe your parents have or had that was evident in their lives now here's the thing if you took those characteristics that you can think of and we we combined them all of those characteristics that are being thought about in this room and then combine them with the love of all the best mothers and fathers who ever lived in the course of history all their goodness, all their kindness, all their patience, all their integrity, all their wisdom, all their tenderness, all their strength, all their love, and united all those qualities in a single person. That person's love would only be a faint shadow of the furious love and mercy that's at the heart of God for us. God the Father is a perfect Father. And, his, and everything that we can think of doesn't even come close to His character and His nature. God is not a reflection of our earthly fathers. He is the perfection of our earthly fathers. Now before we move into talking about how God desires to relate to us and how we can relate with Him, I want us to get a foundational grasp as God the Father, His role and distinction within the Trinity. A couple of weeks ago, we kind of talked about this, and so I, I want to put the, the diagram that we had a couple of week, weeks ago up there to try to make some sense. It, you know, we did our best, and it's almost laughable, you know, in, in 30, 35 minutes, try to get a good grasp on the Trinity, but we, we wanted to help you a little bit, but this diagram should help you, and, and it kind of gives God is at the center as the Father, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit. He is the Father, is the Son, is the Holy Spirit, but the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. It shows the distinction of their roles and who they are. Now, here's a definition, uh, kind of a working definition for us through this series, is that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And each person is fully God, and there is one God. And Tim Keller, we, I referenced this a couple weeks ago, author and pastor, he, he talks about this divine dance, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, kind of like a, in basketball, the three-man weave that happens and it's beautiful and it's it's profound and it's it's hard to fully understand and take in but it's brilliant so what distinguishes the role and relationship that the father has in respect to the son and the holy spirit here's the first one god the father is supreme now i'm going to tell you pizza has really ruined my idea of the word supreme right i mean you you hear that and you're like God the Father, not, not Godfathers, by the way, not Godfathers Pizza. Uh, God the Father is supreme. He is supreme. He, he is ultimate. The Father in His position and authority is supreme among the persons of the Trinity. And it's important to note before we look at a couple passages that speak to the Father's supremacy this morning is that the Father's supremacy doesn't lessen the fullness of God's nature and character to the Son and to the Spirit. A text that speaks to this is found in Philippians chapter 2. And in verses 5 through 8 of Philippians 2, the passage speaks to Jesus emptying himself out as a sacrifice, being obedient to the point of death, even death unto the cross. But then verses 9 through 11 speak to the outcome of his crucifixion. It says this in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there are two primary emphases that speak to the supremacy of the Father in this text. And first off, we see that it is God the Father who exalted the Son and gave Him the name that is above all names. Clearly, if the Father is the one who lifts up and names the Son, He has supremacy over the Son. The second feature of this text that speaks to the Father's how He is ultimate in light of the Trinity, is a statement of the exaltation of Christ does not end with every knee bowing, does not end with every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. How does it end? The, this action precedes the ultimate glory that is extended to who? To God the Father. God the Father receives the ultimate and supreme glory. All praise of the Son ultimately and rightly goes back to the Father. We also find this truth supported through the words and life of Jesus. We can look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Jesus tells us, tells us and his disciples to pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus, Jesus specifies that prayer. It is to be made to who? To the Father. And he says that in this very context, which he asserts that the Father is over all. It's the Father's will that is to be done. It's the Father's kingdom that is to come. Jesus acknowledges the Father's supremacy over all in this passage, but also throughout his entire ministry. 
This attitude of bowing to the authority and position of the Father, it marked Jesus' life and ministry over and over again. You would hear Jesus say, like, say things like this in the Scripture, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the One who sent me. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus is arrested and ultimately crucified, Jesus prays, Your will be done, not mine. Now, now let's, let's apply this here. Can you imagine the drastic shift in your faith and life if you were willing to consistently submit your desires, your day, your prayers, your will to God the Father? What would your life look like if you sincerely placed God the Father as the authority and ultimate leader of your life? Here's what I think our response would be. I believe that that kind of spiritual mindset would result with you and I having a humble desire to please God the Father. A sincere willingness to understand His will and to have the holy courage to obey it. You know, I see this play out in my relationship with my son Carter. He's seven years old. And I'll give him a chore or an assignment to do, so it's like, take these clothes to your room and put them up, you know. Or, hey, go, go wipe down the mirrors. He, he likes being the, the clean glass guy, you know. And so he, he gets his chores. And this is what he always wants me to do. He always wants me to time him. I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm not, so let's just say I'm not sure the job's getting done well, uh, but it is getting done quick. And so, uh, so I time him. And, I mean, without fail, he'll, you know, I mean, just race, 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 come back in. You know, he's got like a little smirk on his face, smiling. And, and, why, and it's, it's so cute because he's so excited and he's so proud to let me know that he, that he got everything done that I asked him to get done. I mean, he is, he is pleasing his dad and he finds great joy in pleasing his father. See, our response to God the Father who is supreme should be the same. We should have a humble desire to please the Father. We should also have a, a courageous willingness to be obedient and to obey what the Father is instructing and telling us to do. Not only is God the Father supreme, but God the Father is also generous. The writer of James tells us in James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Now think about the depth and the significance of that scriptural claim there. Where does every, every single good gift originate from? God the Father. So Jesus, who provides our salvation, given to us by the Father. The Holy Spirit, who, who works in our hearts to to convict us, transform us, and, and empower us for ministry given to us by the Father. Creation, sunrises, sunsets, oceans, mountains, the beauty of nature given to us by the Father. Every good gift in all of life comes ultimately from the Father. And what we strikingly see through the Scripture is that at the core of God the Father's heart is generosity. 
constant evidence of his giving and sharing nature. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God the Father is generous. It's who He is. And many times our struggle is connected to our lack of awareness and lack of seeing the ways in which God has graciously given to us. But those who do see it, those who do sense that all good things come from the hand of God the Father, can I tell you something? They live a much more thankful life than those who don't. Gratitude and thanksgiving flow out of their mouths and out of their lives. And get this, as your gratitude or their gratitude increases, so does your generosity. But it all starts with realizing that God the Father is the giver of all good things. And in God the Father's generosity, not only does He give beyond measure, He shares beyond reason. He gives beyond measure, but He also shares beyond reason. So although God the Father is supreme, He often provides and works through His Son and Spirit to accomplish His work and fulfill His will. Listen, that's nothing short of amazing to consider the humility of God the Father. Rather than saying to the Son and the Holy Spirit, just stand back, And let me do me, right? Just stand back and watch me as I do all the work. But it's as if the Father instead says to us, I want you to see my work accomplished through my Son. Look at my Son. Look at my Son. Look at my Son. Look at His obedience. Look at His grace towards those who misunderstand and mistreat Him. Look at my Son. We read in John 1.14, it says, We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, in the Father's generous nature, rather than insisting that we behold the glory of the Father Himself, He shares His glory with His Son. And not only does God the Father share His glory, but He also shares His ministry and His kingdom work. Hear this, the Father could do it all Himself. He could work unilaterally and get it done. He could say, get out of my way, I am supreme. I don't need you, move. But He doesn't. He chooses to share, He chooses to involve the Son and involve the Holy Spirit. So all of the ministry and work of Jesus, all of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, they flow from the generous permission and authority given to them by God the Father. You know, in high school, like, like many high school students, I had a lot of jobs. And uh, I'm sure, can you think of your first job that you had? It was probably a glorious one. You probably got paid nothing. Uh, you probably remember who it was for and how it ended, right? Uh, whether it was good or bad. I did a lot of jobs, but one of the jobs I had in high school, I worked with a buddy of mine by the name of Justin Davis, and we worked with his dad. 
John K. Davis. He was a home builder in Owasso. Now, for those of you who know me, you're probably like, Jeff, you should not be building a house. You are correct. I should not. And uh, I was not. I was doing the dirty work. So I, uh, we would go and we would clean up sites of all the junk, bricks, all, you know, throw, that, throw them in the, the dumpster, take them to the dump. Uh, but on occasion, when we weren't doing that, we would work with Justin's grandpa. He was a large man. He was a loud man. He was a very opinionated man, had a short, had a short fuse, uh, knew how he wanted to see things done. And so we would get called out every once in a while, you're going to go help Grandpa. And so we would help Grandpa do a lot of different remodel projects. This one day, we were digging footings for a remodel project, okay? And so, so grandpa, grandpa would show us how to do it, I mean literally. He would, get, he would get the shovel, he would show us how to, how to do it, this is how long it needs to be, you know, how wide it needs to be, how deep it needs to be. And so he, he would show us, he would hand us our shovels, he would go in the shade and drink lemonade. And, about, and I'm not lying, about every three to four minutes though, he would come right back to us, let me, let me see that, let me, this is how you do it, you know. He, and, and so this went on for about an hour, okay, so the back and forth, He's doing his thing, he's drinking lemonade, grabs a shovel from us, shows us how to do it, gives it back, we do it for three or four minutes, he takes it from us, says, no, I'm saying do it this way. You know, I mean, it went, on, it went on like this for a while. But after about an hour, Grandpa had enough. <laughs> he told us, you, go, you guys go sit in the shade, you drink some lemonade, give me my shovel, I'm going to show you how to do this. Right? And so Grandpa finished the project, that whole day while we sat in the shade and drank lemonade, right? And, and so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He wanted to take care of the work himself. And what's illogical about God the Father's generous heart is not only that he shares his ministry and kingdom work with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but that he also wants to share it with us. And as bad as we botch it up many times, you think he would just grab our shovels and do it himself but he doesn't instead he gives out shovels to everyone who calls upon the name of his son and he says i want to share this beautiful and eternity altering work with you i want to invite you to participate in a kingdom that is far bigger and far greater than anything the world has to offer and let me tell you something guys that's huge it really is that's why it doesn't make much sense for any ministry or any church to be hurting or begging for volunteers. That's why it doesn't make any sense for believers to be moving through their day, their job, and their lives without actively looking for opportunities to bless, to minister, and to shine Jesus to others. God the Father has chosen to share His ministry with us. He's chosen to share His shovel with us us and he doesn't have to does he need us to accomplish his work does he need us to help others grow in christ the answer is no he doesn't need us but he chooses to use us so why does he do it this way why does he call us into ministry service and i want you to to please hear this because all these things are layers of the heart of god and this is why because he loves and delights in giving a portion of his glorious work to you and to me. 
Because he wants you and I to participate in the privilege and the pleasure of his work. He wants you and I to be a part of what he's doing, to be close to what he's doing. He, he wants to share with you and I a portion of the joy and the satisfaction he gets seeing people grab on to this eternal hope and peace and love. God the Father is saying to us this morning, let's do this together. Let's do this together. Let me share this piece of me with you. And what's our response? In, in, the, in the inspired words of Nate Dogg and Warren G, regulators mount up, right? <laughs> Only a few of you got that, but those of you do, it's, it's a glorious, glorious song. Not really, but that part is anyway, right? And, and that should be our response. It's like, let's do this. Let's do this. How can I participate in the mission of God? How can I steward my time, my finances, my gift set, and my personality to expand God's kingdom? How can I join in where God is already at work and is looking for willing servants? How can I get in the game? You were not created to sit on the sidelines. God is sharing His service and ministry with you. He's just wanting you to grab a hold of it and run. It's because of God's undeserved grace and generosity that we should be moved and inspired to do whatever needs to be done inside the walls of this church and outside the walls for His glory. Now, At the very beginning I said God is not a reflection of our earthly fathers. He is the perfection of our earthly fathers. And the primary reason is for you and I to be able to relate to Him. Meaning, his truest desire is to be in relationship with you. You know, pagan philosophers such as Aristotle arrived at the existence of God via, via human reason and referred to him in, in vague and personal terms like this, like the uncaused cause, the immovable mover, or the unknown God. But those terms are very different from what we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know, American child psychologists tell us that the average American baby begins to speak between the ages of 14 and 18 months. And regardless of the sex of the child, the first word normally spoken at that age is, you probably know it, da, da, daddy, right? And coincidentally enough, a little Jewish child speaking Aramaic in the first century Palestine at the same age level would begin to say, ah, ah, abba, their first word. Coincidence? I doubt it. Relevance? I'm sure of it. You know, many of you this morning, your, your response should be, and it's very foundational, is you need to cry out and say, God, you are my Father. Abba. And, and maybe that is a, a term and a relationship that you've once had that you do not anymore. And for many of you, this may be a relationship that you do not have. You have chosen religion. You have not chosen relationship. And God is wanting to relate to you. He's wanting you to relate 
to him, and he has created that bridge through Jesus. And so this morning, for some of you, those very simple words, and here's, here's the beauty and the brilliance of God, I fully believe this, is you may not even fully know what to say or how to say it, but God sees your heart, and God receives your words, God receives your desires. God receives your prayer. And and it may be as simple as this for many of you this morning. It may just be saying, God, you're my father. And I'm going to do my best to grow and to know you better and to be in relationship with you. I truly believe that's God's prayer for you this morning. And that's my prayer for you as well. God, I come before you. And God, I just pray that you'd meet with us. God, you created us and purposed us to relate to you. And God, you have done that through the term Father and for you to be known as Father to us. And we are children of you. And so God, I pray that we would come to you longingly, that we would come to you as a child comes to their dad, desiring that affirmation, desiring that relationship. And so God, I pray that something special would happen in here not because of the words that have been spoken, not because anything that has been done in this room outside of the power of your Spirit working in hearts in this place. And so God, just encourage us, direct us, and help us to know your love this morning because many of us in here, God, we have never known that love. And so God, I pray that you would just heal hearts this morning, remove stereotypes and, and maybe, maybe perspectives of who you are and help us to really adopt and embrace a proper biblical perspective as you as Father, a generous Father, a supreme Father, a perfect Father. God, move in this room, Lord, and as we move into a time of communion, God, we just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to you. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name.